We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to AFA at the Core. Rick Green with you this afternoon. I'm America's Constitution coach and a former Texas legislator. You can learn more at my website, PatriotAcademy.com. PatriotAcademy.com. If you'd like to be equipped and inspired and educated on how to be a good biblical citizen, check that out today. PatriotAcademy.com. And if you'd like to call in and be a part of the program here on AFA at the Core, the phone number is 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. So much to cover today. I'm going to spend most of my time probably on this Supreme Court decision released this morning uh, with regard to uh, this is the Bruin case out of New York. Uh, we've been anxiously awaiting this one to see what the court would say about the constitutional right to keep and bear arms. What does that mean, to bear arms? I'm sure that just means while you're sitting on your couch at home, right, or walking from the kitchen to the to the bedroom. No, bear arms means wherever you go to be able to defend yourself and your family. That's what the founding fathers meant by that. And that question was before the U.S. Supreme Court, because New York uh, has a, uh, you know, just this desire to prevent law-abiding citizens from being able to keep and bear arms. They, they think that you have to be under immediate threat. Like you have to prove, you have to make uh, an argument to the powers that be, whoever that bureaucrat might be or or chief of police or whoever they want to put in charge of making the decision, you have to make an argument that you're under imminent threat, that somebody's after you, and that's the only reason that you would be able to keep and bear arms as the Second Amendment allows you uh, to do. And the Supreme Court said, nope, nope, absolutely unconstitutional, New York. And of course, the New York governor is just, oh, oh, she's just frantic. She's frantic because she says we have too many guns on the streets. She says we don't need more guns on the streets because clearly New York law is preventing crime from happening. I mean, clearly these unconstitutional gun control laws have stopped any 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 crime in New York. I mean, we don't hear anything about crime in New York. No, no mass murder events in New York, places like maybe. Buffalo. I think Buffalo's in New York. I think the governor's gun control schemes all applied in Buffalo. And of course, you know, the mass murderer there, he he read the statute and said, well, I guess I can't go kill a bunch of people today, despite the fact that I'm a complete nut job. No, in fact, he knew that in Buffalo he could kill more people because of New York's insane gun control laws that do not save lives. They cost lives every single time, every time. And I get righteously angry about this discussion we're going to have today because these people that get up like this governor in New York and wring their hands and act like the Supreme Court justices are going to create mayhem because they're going to let law-abiding citizens have a handgun on them to be able to defend themselves against the insane crime in New York that people like this governor have created more of that crime because of their ridiculous policies that defund and demean the police and encourage crime and, and encourage not prosecuting crime and instead make it harder and harder on the good guys and good gals to be able to defend themselves. So this is a fantastic decision from the U.S. Supreme Court. And the fact that the left-wing governor of New York is, uh, yes, pun intended, up in arms over it 
uh, tells you right there just how good of a decision it is. So we're going to be talking about that decision from the Supreme Court. Also want to talk, if we get time, a little bit about the uh, recent uh, study that tells us exactly what we've known from day one. We knew long before the COVID crackdowns that a a um, um, nat- that, that natural immunity is always going to be better than any vaccine. It's been that way with every virus and disease that we've ever dealt with. Natural immunity is always stronger, whether you're dealing with chickenpox or 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 COVID. I mean, this is this is not new. This is not rocket science. Uh, unfortunately, it is political science to say the opposite and claim that a vaccine will give you better immunity than actually getting the virus and and uh, and and having natural immunity. Uh, but now, of course, the data is saying what we said all along, what we knew all along, and that actually the vaccine gives you an increased risk of infection and that natural immunity is definitely better. So hopefully I'll get to that study, break that one down a little bit. And then depending on time, since I'm with you tomorrow on Friday as well, I might punt this one one more day because of the Supreme Court decision. Uh, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the whole you know, Joe Biden falling off his bike thing, not to make fun of the president, but just to, to point out that we are in a 25th Amendment situation here and uh, and just kind of walk through the the logistics of that, how the Constitution works, what what this, you know, why the 25th Amendment was uh, put into the Constitution in the first place and just give you a little bit of that history and uh, and just kind of walk through it because I'm absolutely convinced it will happen uh, before the end of this current term for uh, Joe Biden, I, I, the, all the people talking about him running in 2020, that is such a joke that he would run in 2024. There is no way this guy will be the nominee for the Democrats. I wish I wish he would be. I wish he could be held account for the awful, horrific policies that he's implemented over the last year and a half that have destroyed our economy and skyrocketed the energy prices and made us weak around the world and all the other things that he's done. If he were to run for reelection, we'd get a chance to talk about those things and hold him accountable. Uh, So I think it would be great, but I don't think there's any way, like 0% chance that he is the nominee for the Democrats in 2024. I don't even think he'll make it to 2024 before the 25th Amendment is implemented. That's why I want to make sure you, our listeners at AFR, are well-informed and educated on how the 25th works so so that when it happens, you can be the one at the water cooler or at the church get-together or wherever you are to say, oh, let me tell you exactly what's going to happen here with the 25th Amendment. Here's what... The president has an opportunity to do in response to the vice president and the cabinet invoking the 25th. And then here's Congress's role. Anyway, it'll be kind of fun. You'll 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 be that person at the party that that knows these things that no one else knows. And you'll know them because you listened to AFA at the core. So just be just go ahead and reach around, take your hand, reach around your shoulder, pat yourself on the back for being wise enough to choose. AFA at the core for your afternoon listening today. Because of that, you are going to know things that most people in America do not know. So I I better get to that before the program's over or else I would have had all that great setup and then not delivered. So I want to always under promise and over deliver. Let's start with the decision from the Supreme Court. This is the case that that we I've talked about it a few times on the program. I haven't really gone into a whole lot of detail about it. I, I have talked about it quite a bit at our constitutional defense courses. Uh, Patriot Academy has been doing this for several years. We do a program where we teach handgun defense, responsible gun ownership and 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 efficiency and effectiveness and safety and all of that good stuff. Um, and, and so what we do is we have a five day course where during the day we're training on the range with the best instructors on the planet. And in the evenings, I'm teaching on the Constitution itself and, and the history of the Second Amendment and other areas of the Constitution. And so I have for uh, quite a while talked about this case because of the importance um, and the potential of it actually restoring the constitutional 
protections in the Second Amendment, actually restoring true constitutional right to carry, because the Constitution very clearly in the Second Amendment says that your right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, which means you should be able to not only have that firearm at home to protect you and your family in your home, but that you should also be able to have it with you wherever you go to protect you and your family wherever you go. And of course, you're more likely these days to be assaulted or or have some bad situation um, present itself. The wolf will show up more likely outside your home than inside your home, depending on where you live. Of course, if I mean, if you live in a really, really high crime ridden area possible, but I mean, just walking down the street. Uh, in fact, one of the one of the plaintiffs in this case, that was their whole argument, was that they had to walk through a pretty bad neighborhood, going to work and, and coming back home and wanted to be able to have some protection, have a, have a handgun to be able to protect themselves. And of course, the state of New York said, no, 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 no. You, you, you're not smart enough, capable enough. You're you're just a you're just a human being that is not a government official. Therefore, you are clearly not capable of carrying a firearm. And so New York, you know, doesn't grant you that right, which it's not New York that has the power to give or refuse a natural right of self-defense, as the founding fathers would have called it. That is a right given by God. That's a, that's something that God instilled in you is this desire to defend yourself and your family. Founders called it the first law of nature. Um, but New York seems to think that they are the grantees, grantors, I'm sorry, and that only the grantees that they think are justified in carrying a firearm can have one. And uh, that was the case before the Supreme Court. Can a state have a system for granting uh, concealed or open carry licenses that is so restrictive that you have to prove to them that you're in some sort of imminent danger, that some person is after you, and therefore you should be able uh, to carry? You have to show a specific real threat like in the moment instead of being able to say man i live in new york i mean just living in new york alone is a danger uh if i work in new york city and i'm walking down a street in manhattan uh, i need to be able to carry in that situation with the crime out of control in new york but that's not good enough for these um ivory tower elites in new york they would refuse over and over and over again to grant that license and so these plaintiffs in this case that's essentially what they were saying was you know, Supreme Court, hey, do your job, uphold the Constitution and make sure that that we are allowed to carry and uh, to keep and bear arms in our state, even though the state has this ridiculous law. And so they've, they've asked the Supreme Court to overturn. Um, it's known as these these Sullivan laws in uh, in New York. And that's exactly what the court did. So I, I want to just try to break it down for you real quick. Here's what the Supreme Court said today in this case. This is a landmark case. This will be you know, right up there with the Heller case and the McDonald case and the Bruin case. Those are going to be the three you know, big Second Amendment cases of our, of our lifetime. Uh, it does not answer some big questions that, that I was hoping the Supreme Court would go ahead and, and respond to. Um, I was hoping that this case would go so far based on the questioning in the hearing itself last October. Uh, I was hoping, I'm sorry, November, um, that the court would say, yeah, not only do you have a right to keep and bear arms, but this is like freedom of speech. You don't have to apply to the government to be able to keep and bear arms. That's an that's a right guaranteed. If, some, if somebody comes up to you and says, show me your permit to carry your handgun, you take out the Constitution and you show them the Constitution and the Second Amendment and say, there's my permit to carry this handgun. But they didn't go that far. Uh, they actually upheld and said, yes. Um, you can have a licensing system in place. So to be able to keep and bear arms in public, 
you can, a state can require a license. So that's the bad part of the decision. Let's just do it this way. The good, the bad, and the ugly. See if I can get this in before our, our first break. The good. Here's the good. This decision handed down by the Supreme Court today absolutely solidifies, reiterates, puts a stamp on the fact that individual citizens have a right to keep and bear arms in public outside the home. So Heller uh, was really about you have a right to keep a gun in your home. In D.C., they weren't even allowing you to have a gun at all. This case is saying you not only have the right to keep and bear arms in your home, you have the right to keep and bear arms outside your home. Uh, and it solidifies, very specifically solidifies, that handguns are absolutely protected by the Second Amendment, that that is the quintessential um, weapon for self-defense in our culture today, and that absolutely you should be able uh, to have that handgun on your person wherever you go. It also restores some sanity. This is part of the good. It restores some sanity with regard to all of these laws and dealing with this kind of thing always in the past came down to intent. Are you carrying that weapon for the lawful purpose of self-defense? Absolutely, you should be allowed to. Are you carrying that weapon for a wicked purpose? To intimidate people? To, to, to cause terror among the... Of course, you should not be able to do that. That can be outlawed. So it brought that sanity back. So all of those are good things in the decision. The bad things, it unfortunately does reiterate the ability for government to regulate, quote, sensitive places such as schools and government buildings, and that you can, if that state wants you to not be able to carry there, they... They, they can do that. It, it does not allow New York to basically call the entire island of Manhattan a sensitive place and you can't carry anywhere there. So it makes that distinction. Um, and it does not um, uphold constitutional carry without some sort of state statute. So it, it does uphold the shall issue states. That's 43 states that require you to the state to give you a permit if you just meet the minimum requirements that most people would meet. Um, but it does hint that you can challenge some of those if they get too burdensome. Now, that's the good and the bad. There's some ugly in here as well. And then there's some poetically beautiful. I know I usually just do the good, the bad, and the ugly, but I have to add a fourth character, uh, a fourth category. There's some poetically beautiful things in this decision, namely Sam Alito's entire concurrence. Justice Thomas wrote the main opinion. It's fantastic. Very long. Alito has a concurrence that is just beautiful. And I'm going to read sections of, sections of it to you because it is that good, that educational, and frankly to me, that inspirational. <laughs> Thank you, Sam Alito. But for now, we're going to take a break. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, you can call in at 888-589-8840. I'm Rick Green. You're listening to AFA at the Core. Back in a moment. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Sometimes there's a delay between crying out to God in prayer and seeing those prayers answered. It is imperative for us in those times that we don't waver in our confidence in our God. The next verse goes on to say, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You see, the delay between supplication and delivered answer is one of the ways God develops endurance in us. He desires that the roots of our faith grow down deep, that we become trees planted by rivers of living water, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in His work. In this, we grow beyond superficial Christianity. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. Does your daughter feel like an outcast? Left out from the crowd at school? Tween and teen years can be incredibly difficult for girls, but thankfully you're raising a godly girl who has her faith to cling to. God gave us a simple and transformational example of His redeeming love, the lost sheep. The parable of the lost sheep appears in both Luke and Matthew's Gospels. It's almost as if God wanted us to read it twice. If it's been a while since your family read this story from the Gospels, I encourage you to revisit this important passage with your daughter. Whenever she feels like another, remind her that our God leaves the 99 in search of the one. She is beloved by you and by God. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. Learn more about empowering girls at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. Hello? Hey, stranger. Oh, hi. Thank goodness it's you. I was afraid to answer the phone. Why? What's up? The credit card companies are after me. They want me to make payments, and the calls never stop. Ouch. Been there before, but I got help from Trinity Debt Management. Trinity? Yeah. I called, and right away, Trinity contacted my creditors and got my interest rates cut in half. They ended all the late fees and over-limit charges, and they stopped those annoying phone calls. Bet that was a relief. Yep. Then they put me on a plan that consolidated my bills into one easy monthly payment. That way, I paid off my debt fast while saving thousands. Nice. Trinity even showed me how to plan and meet a monthly budget. So now I'm debt-free for keeps. Wow. Do you still have their number? Sure. Here, write this down and call 1-800-788-1813. Can you repeat that? 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core. Rick Green with you this afternoon. Uh, if you're still kind of figuring out our schedule, I'll be hosting AFA at the Core on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Walker Wildman hosting on Mondays and Wednesdays. And then on Friday, we flip a coin, and I won the toss this week. So I'll be with you again tomorrow afternoon. If you'd like to participate in the show this afternoon with a call or with a question or a comment, the phone number is 888-589-8840. I've been breaking down the Bruin case, Supreme Court decision handed down today, upholding, solidifying the right to keep and bear arms, that you have a right not only to have that gun in your home, but to carry it with you wherever you go, so that if you're in a grocery store, a Walmart, a restaurant, or wherever it is, and the wolf comes knocking at that door to prey on the sheep, that if you're a sheepdog and you've been trained, you're ready and able to defend yourself and your family. That is the whole concept behind the first law of nature, as the founders called it, the law of self-defense. And that's what the Second Amendment is intended to design. Not only self-defense in the moment, as John Adams said, resistance to sudden violence, but also self-defense against a tyrannical government to keep that government in at, at check, to, to offer, as Joseph Story said, father of American jurisprudence, a strong moral check against the arbitrary power and usurpation that government sometimes uh, would do if we weren't armed and ready to defend ourselves. But back to the case itself. So the Bruin case was all about, can you carry that weapon outside the home? And the case uh, that was brought before the Supreme Court was from New York. Uh, New York, one of six states that have what we call a May issue concealed carry license or open carry license and and 43 states that um, 
uh, that that have a shall a shall issue and then one that has no regulatory scheme at all and you just get to carry. So here's how it works. If you're a shall issue state, when you decide you want to keep and bear arms, then you put your application in with the state. You might have to do fingerprinting and background check and all these things. Um, you know, now me personally, I'm for constitutional carry. I don't think you should have to do that, but the court has upheld that that is, a, is something that the states can do, but it has to be objective, not subjective. So if you meet those standards, if you, um, you know, didn't just get out of a mental institution or have been declared, in, you know, uh, not you know capable and all those things. Uh, and if you take whatever the course is that they require so that you have some level of proficiency, which frankly, most of the proficiency requirements are really, really minimal. I mean, they're like nothing, nothing like the course that we we teach at constitutional defense. But at any rate, those shall issue states have to give you the license. These may issue states. Well, it's totally up to the bureaucrats. They can decide whether or not you are worthy of being able to exercise your constitutional rights and defend yourself and your family. And in my opinion, they put you at risk. They disarm you. They do exactly the opposite of what the government is supposed to do. What is the purpose of government? It's right there in the Declaration of Independence. It's very clear that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. To secure what rights? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Among these, that's just some of them, but life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So government's purpose is to protect those rights for you not take away those rights for you. And that's what these May issue states have been doing. They've been preventing you from defending yourself. So places like New York, of course, you're going to have high crime. Of course, you're going to have the, the thugs that know that they can with impunity. I mean, they just go wherever they want, do whatever they want, defund, demean the police. We don't have to worry about it. Prosecutors aren't going to come after us. So you get more and more of that crime. And then at the same time you're doing that, you disarm the citizens and say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Susie. I, I, I know you're having to walk past all these criminals as you go home from from work and you're worried about being assaulted or perhaps even killed. And and, you know, you're trained and you know that if you had that handgun, you could prevent that assault from happening, perhaps even save someone else's life if it's happening. But too bad. Nope. We're not going to let you have that gun. We're not going to let you carry that gun because we are the almighty government and we're in charge. That's the mindset of these people in New York. <clears throat> and the Supreme Court said, absolutely not. That's the good part of the decision. Uh, absolutely not, New York. You have to ha become a shall issue state. If you're going to require a license to keep and bear arms in public, then you have to do it like the other 43 states. And you have to make sure that it's a shall issue situation where Susie applies she doesn't have whatever the you know criminal record or mental health issues or whatever you're going to exempt out. Uh, she's like you know most people. She's a law-abiding citizen and and uh, she passes her proficiency test. Absolutely, you got to give her the license. So that's the good news. Uh, it, it restores that uh, right to keep and bear arms for people in New York. And then this will also end up applying to you know California and these other six states that have not done shall issue. So that's really really good news. That's a big big. Victory. The bad news is it still leaves in place the ability to regulate, quote, sensitive places so they can still exempt you from keeping and bearing arms in a place that they consider to be sensitive. Now, in the Supreme Court decision, Justice Thomas only lists schools and government buildings, but they make it pretty clear, um, you know, that that is up to the state. Now, I hate that. I think that's ridiculous. I think that's silly. You, they typically disarm me in the very places where I most need to be armed, in the most crowded places where a mass murder event is likely to happen. That's where I should be able to be armed. Uh, but unfortunately, that one we didn't win in the Supreme Court case. They're, they're keeping up this, this you know silly idea that, that you could exempt out these other places. Um, okay, so that's all the good and the bad. Now the ugly. And then I'll do the poetically beautiful. Sam Alito's entire concurrence is poetically beautiful, I'm just telling you. But the ugly is 
what is it with Brett Kavanaugh? Justice Kavanaugh has like he's I don't know. I don't know if it was just he was so scarred by the hearings that now he just has this desire to be loved and understood. But his concurrence, even though he voted with the majority, so at least he voted right. But his concurrence, he spends all of his judicial chits here that he could play at the table emphasizing that regulations are allowed. All he, it's, it's like he's screaming, please love me. Please, please don't be mad at me because we're upholding a constitutional right to keep it. We know everybody's thinking about Uvalde and these mass murder events. And, and we know people are you know foolish enough to think it's the gun's fault instead of the mass murderer's fault. And so I just want to be loved. So I just want to remind everybody, don't worry. Regulations are allowed. This doesn't, this doesn't create the wild west. Um, you know, you, we can still do all kinds of licensing requirements. And I mean, it's all his whole concurrence. That's all it is. It's just embarrassing. I mean, just, just, just don't even talk, Kevin. I'll just don't even write a concurrence. If all you're going to do is grovel, it was just, I just, okay, that's enough. That's the ugly. Uh, what they should have done was struck down all licensing requirements and said the second amendment is your permit and national constitutional carry is now in place so that I can carry not just in my home state of Texas, but I can carry in Kentucky. I can carry in Michigan. I can carry in, in Florida, which I can in most, I can carry in all those states because it's reciprocal. Let me give the ones I can't carry. I can't carry in California. Can't carry in Oregon. Can't carry in Massachusetts. Can't carry. In, there's so many states that I don't even like to go speak. I get a speaking request to these states and I'm like, man, you could double the fee because now I got to come in and carry a stun. I do carry a stun gun, but I can't carry my my 1911 that I'm very proficient with, that I would be able to stop a threat with. I just cannot stand the fact that my constitutional rights stop at my state line. That's not the way it's designed. You don't have to get an additional driver's license in every state that you go into. You don't, you don't have to apply for the right of free speech in these other states. You should be recognized as a citizen in these other states and be able to carry. That's what the Supreme Court should have done. And I thought there was a chance they would do that. So for that part, I got to have some ugly. That is the ugly part of this case. I wish they had gone as far as I hoped they would, was praying that they would, based on some of the questioning at the hearing. Okay, but now the poetically beautiful. This is my additional category. I just might have to add this. I do this front porch live thing on, on Sunday nights. Every Sunday night, I get out on my front porch and we go live on Facebook and I you know, pontificate about the previous week and I give the good, the, the bad, and the ugly of the previous week. And uh, now I believe I just might have to add the poetically beautiful because Sam Alito, oh, what a beautiful, beautiful man. <laughs> I'm telling you, the brain in this guy is, is he may be the smartest guy on the planet. Now, now, Justice Thomas is my favorite Supreme Court justice. I have to I, as I'm giving all these props to Sam Alito, I just got to tell you, Thomas was sworn in when I was in law school. So I followed this guy from the beginning of his Supreme Court tenure, and he's absolutely the best Supreme Court justice. I mean, every opinion he writes, I just love. I don't think I've found anything yet that I uh, disagree with the guy on. So Thomas is absolutely my favorite Supreme Court justice. His opinion is like 50 pages. It always is. I mean, the McDonald case where he took me to school on the 14th Amendment and I learned so much was like 50 or 60 pages. Um, you know, even even this case, uh, the Bruin case, again, I think his his uh, the, the opinion that uh, the, the, the majority opinion that he wrote again, you know, 50, 50 something pages. I think it is maybe six. No, actually, it's like 75 pages. Yeah. So here I'm looking it up right now. 70. Yeah. 70 pages. OK, well, here comes Alito. And, 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 and if you're not sure how the Supreme Court works, so, so they, you know, they vote and whatever the majority opinion is, somebody in the majority writes that opinion. But you can also you, you don't have to just have that one. If you disagree, you can write a dissenting opinion and let everybody know why you disagree with the majority. It doesn't have the force of law or any of that kind of stuff, but, it, you know, it, it's a way of ed, trying to educate or make your arguments. 
Well, even if you're with the majority, you can write, write what's called a concurring opinion. So you vote with, in this case, Sam Alito voted with Justice Thomas uh, and Amy Coney Barrett and Roberts and and uh, and, and Kavanaugh and, and, and Gorsuch. And so the majority are all on Clarence Thomas's written opinion. But then Alito adds a concurring opinion. Kavanaugh added a concurring opinion and Barrett added a concurring opinion. Just a few pages each, just making some points that they maybe wanted to make in the majority opinion, but it wasn't emphasized enough or they just want to reiterate it. Like I said, Kavanaugh's concurring opinion was just a bunch of whining uh, and and please love me because I'm not just pro-gun. Yeah, anyway, uh, but Alito's opinion, I'm just going to, I got to read it. It is so good. I have to read it. Here's what he says. Justice Alito says, I join the opinion of the court in full, but add the following comments in response to the dissent. Now, the dissent is Justice Breyer, who talk about whining, his whole dissent. He's just listing every mass murder event of the last few years. And and instead of recognizing, you know, that there's crazy people in the world, there's been mass murder events since the beginning, that, 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 that most of those mass murder events are government committing those mass murder events, and that often those mass murder events are not even including a firearm. In Oslo, last just a few months ago, a guy kills a bunch of people with a bow and arrow and a knife. Uh, in Wisconsin, crazy guy goes and drives a Chevy Suburban into a crowd, kills six and injures 62. Uh, the, the worst school massacre in United States history didn't involve a firearm. A guy used dynamite. I mean, so Breyer lists all these events and, and he acts like it, the, gun, the gun, the gun, the gun is evil. That's what we need to outlaw. So Justice Alito responds to him. Here's his concurring opinion responding to him. And it, it, it is it is so good. OK. So he, he says, basically, you know, all we're deciding is that the Second Amendment does give you the right to keep and bear arms. It doesn't change uh, a, a lot of the other things uh, that are out there in terms of the eight. You know, you got to be uh, 21 to buy a handgun and and uh, 18 to carry and, and, and those kind of things. But here's what he says. In light of what we have actually held, it is hard to see what legitimate purpose can possibly be served by most of the dissent's lengthy introductory section. Why, for example, does the dissent think it is relevant to recount the mass shootings that have occurred in recent years. Does the dissent think that laws like New York's prevent or deter such atrocities? I mean, Alito hits the nail on the head right here. He says, will a person bent on carrying out a mass shooting be stopped if he knows that it is illegal to carry a handgun outside the home? <laughs> I mean, I love it. And how does the dissent account for the fact that one of the mass shootings near the top of the dissent's list took place in Anybody guess? Buffalo. The New York law at issue in this case obviously did not stop that perpetrator. What is the relevance of statistics about the use of guns to commit suicide? Does the dissent think that a lot of people who possess guns in their homes will be stopped or deterred from shooting themselves if they cannot lawfully take them outside? So you got to catch the humor here. What he's saying is this case says you have a right to take that gun that's in your home and carry it outside your home to protect you. But yet Justice Breyer and Sotomayor and Kagan in their dissent, they list all these mass shootings and they act like this decision is going to allow for more mass shootings or that it would have stopped these other. I hate using their terminology. It's not a mass shooting. It's a mass murder event. Nothing wrong with a mass shooting. Mass shooting happens on the range when you're practicing. These are mass murder events. But but what, what Alito is doing so well here is he's saying, you guys are whining and crying and you act like that somehow allowing people to carry outside their home legally would have stopped any of these things that you're talking about, that it would have somehow that, 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 that by or, or by not allowing people to carry outside their home somehow would have stopped the suicides. That's silly. He goes on to say the dissent cites statistics about the use of guns in domestic disputes. 
But it does not explain why these statistics are relevant to the question presented in this case. How many of the cases involving the use of a gun in a domestic dispute occur outside the home and how many are prevented by laws like New York's? In other words, he's just using good old fashioned logic and taking the dissent, Justice Breyer and Kagan and, and Sotomayor's arguments and just putting them right back in their face and saying, wait, uh, A does not equal B. You, you are making an argument for something that has nothing to do with what we're actually deciding in this case. He goes on to say the dissent cites statistics on children and adolescents killed by guns. But what does this have to do with the question whether an adult who is licensed to possess a handgun may be prohibited from carrying it outside the home? Our decision does not expand the categories of people who may lawfully possess a gun. And federal law generally forbids the position of a handgun, possession of a handgun by a person who is under the age of 18. The dissent cites the large number of guns in private hands, nearly 400 million. But it does not explain what this statistic has to do with the question whether a person who already has the right to keep a gun in home in their home for self-defense is likely to be deterred from acquiring a gun by the knowledge that the gun cannot be carried outside the home. In other words, this doesn't change any of that. And it's only going to make it possible for good guys and gals to defend themselves. It doesn't increase crime. It actually ends up decreasing crime. He goes on to say, and while the dissent seemingly thinks that the ubiquity of guns in our country's high level of gun violence provide reasons for sustaining, sustaining the New York law, this is so good. I'm sorry, I got to slow down so I make sure I get this across. He says, the dissent appears not to understand that it is these very facts, in other words, high levels of crime and violence, it's these very facts that cause law-abiding citizens to feel the need to carry a gun for self-defense. And then he goes on to make the argument that I'm always making that, you know, uh, it's not the, uh, the the fact that all these guns are out there does not create crime. Guns are used, as he as he states in his uh, concurrence, uh, about two point five million times a year to stop crime. The whole reason people want to carry a handgun outside their home is to stop a crime, to prevent the murder, the rape or some other serious injury. Justice Alito I love you, man. Oh, my goodness. This is such a good concurring opinion. We don't have enough time to read the whole thing. I would encourage you, if you ever wanted to read a Supreme Court decision, read this one. This Bruin case, Sam Alito's concurring opinion. So, so good. It is truly poetically beautiful, and it puts the left in their place. It asks the relevant, logical questions to which they cannot answer. So the Second Amendment is upheld. Law-abiding citizens are allowed to keep and bear arms for the defense of themselves and others. That is a good day for us and for the Constitution, folks. Stay with us. We'll be right back on AFA at the Core. What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe true morality flows from biblical principles and directs people to the manner in which God intends them to live. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. When it comes to the spiritual condition of the church in America, is it strong, weak, or perhaps even on life support? I'm Sam Rohr, host of Stand in the Gap Weekend, heard Sunday from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Time. According to the latest George Barnett research, the condition of the church, and specifically those in the pulpits of America, is not even close to strong. 
Join me, Isaac Crockett and Dr. George Barna, as we examine the latest research in The Church Triumphant, Sunday from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Time. In churches, and a lot of churches today, the issue of identity is sort of like the big elephant in the room. It's in the news, but it's not in the church. So if it's in society, it needs to be something the churches are addressing. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality, is now available for church screenings and events. Every person in America needs to see this. And all pastors need to show this to the church, get the people informed. If the church and Jesus isn't the answer, where's the world going? We want the message of the film to touch as many hearts and lives as possible, and we'd love to join with you to bring the film to your community. So let's say you have a small group or your church, or we've even been bringing the film into some prisons. We want to partner with you. So what we'll do is we'll send you a special kit, and it's completely free, and it'll just have some extra resources to help you promote your event. To find out more about how to host an event, go to inhisimage.movie and click on the Host an Event tab. That's inhisimage.movie. In Ephesians 6.16, the Apostle Paul says that above all, to stand against the devil's schemes, we must pick up and use the shield of faith. This faith shield is perhaps the most important piece of defensive armor against the fiery darts of the wicked one because it's versatile, mobile, and capable of protecting the entire body. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr, president of the American Pastors Network with another Stand in the Gap Minute. Faith is that unswerving trust in God to do all He says He'll do. Protection from the fiery darts, those temptations from the devil, those enticements to the sins of blasphemous thoughts and unbelief, The sudden urging to do wrong or entertain sinful thoughts is what only true faith can protect against. These fiery darts like speeding arrows come suddenly and from unexpected places. They pierce and penetrate and can set the soul on fire. How's your faith, Shield? Will you join the battle for truth with us at Stand in the Gap Radio and TV? Sign up at standinthegapmedia.org. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core. Phone number to call in is 888-589-8840. And let's get to those phones. I'm sorry for putting you guys off this long. Here we go. Frank in Kentucky. Hey, Frank, first caller of the day. What's your comment or question, sir? Hi, brother. Um, I want to ask you this question. I was listening to Sandy. Um, forget her name. She comes on the radio in the morning on AFR, and she was talking about this uh, flag law. Uh, they're supposed to vote on this flag law today. Yes. Uh, so she was asking asking people to call their senator. So uh, is that going to clash with this or what? Yeah, uh, you uh, you must have been listening to Sandy Rios this morning. Yes, I, I didn't get to listen to the program, but I absolutely agree. Call your U.S. senators. Tell them not to vote uh, for this gun control package that was negotiated in the dead of night and and uh, and you know no time to review and and it does red flag laws all across the country, which is a constitutional um, you know violation in my opinion for sure. Because while they make you think. The, the, the perception for the red flag laws is people tend to think, well, that just means you've got some crazy that's threatened to blow up the school or shoot up the school, and you absolutely should be able to go, oh, of course you can't. You don't need a red flag law to do that. Somebody makes a threat like that, law enforcement has everything at their fingertips they need to stop that. 
the the red flag law, though, what it does is it creates a situation where some anonymous person can complain about you because, oh, you listen to American Family Radio. Oh, you you're a Constitution coach for that crazy Rick Green guy. You must believe in in the Constitution and the right to keep and bear arms. I'm afraid of you. You 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 make me nervous. I'm afraid you might do something crazy. And then they go complain. And then you end up with the, all these Soros funded DAs and, and, and police departments that are. Uh, co-opted um, in, in a left-wing philosophy and been taught critical race theory, and now they send the, the, the goons out to take your guns, and you have no way to defend yourself. You don't even get a chance to present your case. Uh, it's it's a bad deal. It's a really, really bad deal. And uh, so let's let's encourage our, our, uh, our U.S. senators to vote against it. I don't have a lot of hope that we're going to stop it because these are, unfortunately, politicians that are uh, more interested in feeling good about themselves and patting themselves on the back and acting like they did something. So it's it's senators like John Corner from Texas, who, you know, unfortunately has been in the swamp too long. He was pretty good back when he was AG and we worked together when I was a legislator. But, boy, he has become a complete Republican sellout at this point, not only on gun control, but immigration and all kinds of other issues. That's what the swamp does. That's why we need term limits. You ought to be there for 10 or 12 years and then come home and live under the laws that you help pass. It's time for John Corner to be put out to pasture for sure in this gun control package that he has negotiated. In other words, compromised. In other words, given in to the left. I mean, since when, when have you seen 14 Democrats cross the aisle and come over to the Republican side of things and and quote unquote compromise and 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 do something, you know, quote unquote good doesn't happen. But you got these 14 Republican sellouts that absolutely. Oh, we'll, we'll look like the saviors. We'll look like we're the rational ones and we'll give up your constitutional rights. But boy, we'll get a good headline out of it. Disgusts me. Absolutely disgusts me. OK, uh, Kevin in Arkansas. Who pick suey, Kevin? What part of Arkansas are you calling from? Northwest, up in the Fayetteville area. All right. Uh, blessings and greetings to you. Uh, right back at the, you, brother. Uh, the presidential line, president, vice president, speaker of the house, all the way down to the, what is it, designated survivor? And who designates that guy? How many other people <laughs> are in there? There's a there's a lot. And there's actually some questions about some of the people in that line and whether or not it's constitutional for the Speaker of the House or the Senate uh, pro temp to be in that line because, uh, you know, of the definition of officers of the, of the U.S. officers in, in the Constitution. I think I think there's actually a good case to remove uh, members of the legislature from that line and not allow um, the legislative branch to be in the in the line for uh, the, um, executive branch. Um, but, uh, but I'm not sure that was that your, go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Ah, okay. Uh, but in terms of how this thing works, if the 25th amendment is going to be, um, invoked and, and it's, it never has been in the way that we're talking about, there's actually two clauses in the 25th amendment that allow, um, for the, the president to, to not be set aside, but for the vice president to be the acting president during, that time of the 25th being invoked. And, and one of those clauses, the president stands up and says, hey, I'm going in, under surgery. I'm going to be out or whatever. And so I can't do the job under the second clause. And that has happened. President Reagan did that um, once. Uh, George, a., uh, George W. Bush did it twice. Uh, all three of those were for colonoscopies, about two hours each. And then uh, Joe Biden has done that once. And so Kamala Harris was, quote unquote, acting president for that short period of time. I know. Scary, scary. But uh, but the other clause is where the cabinet says, the president is not capable of doing the job. Now, clearly, this man occupying the White House known as Joe Biden is not capable of doing the job. Everybody in the country knows this. We watch him shuffle out to the teleprompter and Jill, you know, he leads him in and out and and he mumbles along something that's incoherent to most you know, humans. 
and and we act like this guy is still capable of being president. It's a joke. It's a farce. It's ridiculous. Everybody knows he's not capable of doing the toughest job on the planet. It's mentally taxing, physically taxing. He can't do it. The 25th Amendment was created for this very moment. But what it takes is a vice president and half of the cabinet. And that's the core cabinet. It's not, you know, all these additional positions that presidents have added to the cabinet. There's actually 15 specific offices that are listed in the in the statutes for this. It's, you know, Department of State, Treasury, Defense, Justice, Interior, Agriculture, Commerce, Labor, Health and Human Services, Housing and Urban Development, Transportation, Energy, Education, Veterans Affairs and Homeland Security. Those are the only ones that get to vote on the 25th Amendment. If they vote yes and the vice president votes yes. So you have to have both. The vice president has to be on board. Um, she could, you know, veto this essentially and not invoke the 25th all by herself. So even if 15 of the 15 of the cabinet said yes, still wouldn't happen. So if she says yes and eight of the 15 say yes, then you invoke the 25th. And at that point, they send a letter to the Congress and they basically say um, we're invoking the 25th Amendment. And, um, you know, now um, uh, the, the president is essentially you know sidelined and the vice president becomes um, the acting president. And so then the president, though, can disagree. He can actually send a letter to Congress saying, no, I'm fine. And if he does that, then now the vice president and the cabinet have to resubmit their declaration within four days of him objecting. And then if they do that, so now you got a real tit for tat going, they're going back and forth. Now Congress has to make the big decision. Uh, they, they have to, uh, if they're not already in session, they have to convene within 48 hours. And then they have to decide within 21 days. So they have 21 days to make the decision. And here's how it goes. Two thirds of both the House and the Senate must agree with the cabinet and the vice president. Otherwise, the president resumes power. So it's a pretty hefty bar to do this. The cabinet has to call for it. Cabinet and the vice president have to call for it. And then if the president disagrees, then the Congress has to uphold that decision and they can only do that if two thirds of both the House and the Senate side with the cabinet uh, and against the president. So it's a pretty interesting situation. I think it's the only way that this president, this president, I mean, this Biden family have been leeches on the government their whole. I mean, for 50 years, they've been living off of your tax dollars. There is no way that Jill and Joe are just going to, you know, politely and honorably exit stage left. They're going to have to be kicked off the stage. And the 25th Amendment is the proper constitutional way to do that. Uh, and so I think you'll see that happen eventually. The Democrats know this guy is an albatross around their neck. The only reason they haven't done it so far, Kamala Harris is even worse. Um, she would be such an embarrassment to the Democrat Party. They know that. They do the polling. This isn't like just guesswork. They do the polling. They know she's down in the 20s. He's down in the 30s in terms of approval. So they've really got a mess on their hands. They don't have a face for the Democrat Party that could actually start winning elections again. If they had chosen Tulsi Gabbard as the vice president, she would actually be great. I, I like Tulsi Gabbard. Um, she's liberal on a lot of stuff, but for a Democrat, I like her. Uh, she's good on, on military. She is a military veteran. She's strong on, on, on the, against the COVID crackdowns. I mean, lots of good stuff coming out of, from Tulsi Gabbard. So she would have been, if, she, if, the, if Biden had picked her 
instead of Kamala Harris, because all he was trying to do was check the boxes. Hey, I got to have a black. I got to have a woman. I got I'm all about profiling. I'm all about judging people based on the color of their skin and not the content of their character. That's the Democrat Party of the day. It's all about color of skin, not content of the character, which is why MLK all the way back then was a Republican, because he understood the importance of these things. At any rate, um, that's how it would work. And unfortunately, that's a no win situation for the Democrats, because the vice president does not become president in that situation. The vice president becomes acting president. So the president is still president. She just would be acting president and have all the powers of the presidency, but she doesn't even get to name a new VP. Um, you know, it, the only way that happens is if Biden actually resigns and then she becomes actual president and then she nominates a new VP that then uh, has to be approved by both the, the House and the Senate. So it's a it's a mess, folks. And it's a mess. Why? Because wimpy Republicans in six states did not do their job under the Constitution, perfectly constitutional and historical. They should have named the electors for their six states when they knew that their election process had been compromised because the laws had been changed without legislative approval. You don't even have to get into all the dominion and manipulation of all that kind of stuff. All you got to know is they blatantly, publicly broke the law. They violated the Constitution by changing and creating all this you know, additional early voting, drive-by voting, all these boxes, everything, without the legislature. That is absolutely unconstitutional. A governor cannot do that. A secretary of state cannot do that. A, a Supreme Court of Pennsylvania cannot do that. It was all unconstitutional, and you had Republican legislatures that absolutely could have said, because of that, we are naming the electors, and had they done that, Donald Trump would be president, as the election probably um, justified. Uh, and we wouldn't even be in this mess. But because we had wimpy Republicans at the state level that didn't do their job and got fooled and and outmaneuvered by ruthless Machiavellian injustifies the means folks, that's why we're in the mess that we're in. Okay, enough of that. All right, let's go back to the phones. Let's see. That was uh, that was Kevin in Arkansas. So let's go to Bill in Mississippi. Bill, let's see if we can get this one in before we're done for the day. Go ahead, brother. Hey, man, I, you know, one, I want to say, Rick, thank you for saying we need congressional term limits. Oh, I've yes. Saying that all, but one, my reason for calling is, you know, Biden, early in his, uh, very early in his days, not his months, as, as president said, you know, go ahead and let them have their guns. We have Black Hawk helicopters. Mm. We have uh, nuclear missiles. Let them have their guns. And, I, and I'm going to hang up and let you comment on that, all right? Yeah, man. You know, uh, look, that's part of the concern I have about the original intent of the Second Amendment being to offer that strong moral check against the usurpation of power. Um, that, that you know, regardless of whether you have your AR-15s and your handguns and, and even fully automatic weapons, which are, are legal, legal if you get the, the, the stamp and the permit and all that kind of stuff, um, you're, you're right. I mean, the firepower of a government... Um, currently would would be you know almost impossible to to fight back against now if, if it ever came to that if we ended up in a red dawn you know the movie red dawn uh, situation um there would be enough guerrilla warfare i think in this country to at least fight back and make it difficult which is still offers a strong moral check uh in that way so it's not a lost cause but you're right it is a uh it, it is a different world um than than what the founders were dealing with when your muskets and your cannons which is why they did allow citizens to own cannons back then uh, Biden lied about that as along with a lot of other things. 
Um, but um, it is it is different today because of of weapons of mass destruction, uh, because of just you know massive things like uh, tanks and missiles and that sort of thing. Uh, but interesting, interesting thought. Uh, that was Bill. Let's go to Sharon in Texas. I think we might get one more in before we're out of time for uh, today. Sharon, go ahead. Yes, uh, thanks so much for taking my call. I've got my Texas and my U.S. Uh, congressman on my speed dial on my phone, and for years I've been trying to get hold of Cornyn. And this the other day, I it, they did put me through. I mean, nobody answered, but I went. It went to voicemail. Nobody picked up from his office, and then it said, "Now you can put in voicemail." Completely blocked and full. So. It, it, he is impossible. It, he's so, it's so frustrating because there's no way to let that guy know you stink out loud and you are doing the wrong thing. We don't need you in Texas representing us as a senator ever. Yeah, it made you, you made you realize just what an elitist he is. You know, I mean, it's it, it, I don't know if you saw where he got booed last weekend at the at the Texas uh, GOP convention, uh, but he, he fully deserved it, not just for this this gun control effort. He's undermined conservative principles for years behind the scenes. He's actually destroyed a lot of good stuff that we were trying to get done. And uh, it, it, it again, it comes back to just being there too long. Like I said, he was he was great when he was attorney general. I you know, worked with him back then. He was he was a good senator for a while. Uh, but the swamp, I'm telling you, folks, it's swampy. It, it it sucks people in. It makes them think they're doing good. Oh, I'm you know, I'm doing the best I can. I'm, I'm uh, this will be better than nothing and all that. It just warps the mind, which is why term limits is um, uh, I think it was Bill was t- uh, referring to is, is so important. We need to limit how long somebody's in office for, for their own good, let alone the good of the country and and us as individuals. The only way we're going to get term limits, folks, convention of a convention of states, just like Article 5 talks about. This is why George Mason put it in the Constitution right there at the end of the Constitutional Convention, and they all voted for it. It was unanimous. It was like a mic drop moment, palm to the forehead. Why didn't we think of this before? And what it does is it allows the states to get together and overrule the federal government. So it's a it's a three-step process. It's very, very difficult. We've never actually done it, but we're on our way. we got 19 states that have called for it. We need 34. Then we'll have the convention. Then we'll propose amendments. They'll go back to all 50 states, and we'll ratify, hopefully, some really good amendments like term limits, balanced budget amendment, being able to overturn Supreme Court decisions like we did with the 11th Amendment. Those are all steps that are right at our fingertips. We have the tools we need to restore liberty in this country, but we have to use the Constitution to save the Constitution. We should not be afraid to exercise our rights. Conventionofstates.com if you want to learn more about that one. Okay, I didn't get to my full list today, but thankfully I won the toss, and I'm with you again tomorrow. So tomorrow afternoon we'll get to the rest of those things that have been happening uh, this week, and we'll cover more of the good, the bad, and the ugly, and maybe even more poetically beautiful. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Rick Green. You've been listening to AFA at the Court. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.